G'day guys, and welcome back to another Glory Days episode. And what a beauty it is, as we take a look at the remarkable Back From The Brink Premiership Glory Lockhart achieved in its very first year in a new league. A massive thanks to episode sponsors, Davis Sanders Holmes Aubrey, and the past players and supporters from 1982 for making it all possible. I hope you'll enjoy it. Let it rip, Robbie. So it was a big thing for Lockhart. You know, the whole town was just a buzz with it all. And a lot of us hadn't played in the grand final. And, you know, we, were, yeah, I was a bit nervous. We got there. It was great. <laughs> I had a pretty big celebration. I remember that because that year we, we built the new sheds, you know, which was a good thing, I think, for all of us who were involved in building the new club rooms. Went from pub to pub and drove around the back of the truck. And pretty good time. I remember it still sticks in my head, like little things that stick in your head, but someone got a flat that truck and we drove down the main street we're all standing on the team on the back of the truck and people coming out tooting their horns and clapping and you know it was just just a great feeling because a lot of the town were involved in building the sheds people who hadn't been wouldn't sort of involved in the footy club were involved in building the club rooms and got them a bit involved in the footy club and they all sort of bought into the when we started winning a few games i think they they sort of bought into it a bit more than they normally would have you know because they were, they were there building the sheds and building the club rooms and yeah, it was, was, was great. The 1981 Farrah Football League home and away season finished on August the 22nd, and so did the Lockhart Football Club's time in the league after 24 seasons. After a preliminary final appearance in its inaugural season of 1958, a grand final loss to Wagga in 1959, and then an upset grand final victory over Wagga in 1960, finals appearances were scarce and premierships non-existent. From 1961 to 1981, Lockhart played in only three Farrah final series, with a runners-up to Colcan in 1968, its best finish. They were beaten first semi-finalists in 1962 and 1976. In that 21-year period, they played 384 matches, winning 134, a winning percentage of just under 35%. In 1981, Lockhart had finished last, while the seconds had finished bottom two for the last 12 years. Three other foundation clubs in the Farrah League, Henty, Colcan and Holbrook, had all departed the league. Henty was admitted into the Hume Football League for the 1980 season, while Colcan and Holbrook, after being rejected by the Hume Football League, were admitted to the Telangana Football League for the 1981 season. For Lockhart, it was also time to make the move, and move they did, being accepted into the Hume Football League for the 1982 season. The club was on the canvas, but had been thrown a lifeline. They regrouped, they reunited a community and were ready for a comeback. And comeback they did in remarkable fashion as the former Easy Beats became a force in the new league. This is Lockhart 1982, the Premiership Trail. The appointment of coaching legend Tim Robb for the 1982 season was the perfect start for the club, who would be known as the Demons. Lockhart, who wore the red, white and blue colours of Footscray in the Farrah League, had to change its jumper, with Jindra already the Bulldogs. President Ian Bluey Harper, who was still a player at the club, explained all the change. 
It happened in uh, late 81 when um, I took over as president from Bob Chambers, who was president the year before. He became my secretary and we talked about joining the UM to be more competitive. Special meeting was called for members. Some were for and some were against. What would have the percentage been, Bluey, of for and against? It might have been about 70-30. Mainly the older ones didn't want to move. People in their 40s and 50s went through. So so by the end of 81, we joined Hume in December. To this point, I think, became the first club in the Hume League to amalgamate football and netball. And I wanted to uh, put it all under one umbrella. So I had about five or six women come on board, committee. One was our treasurer and girls looked after catering and and then there were other girls that looked after the netball side. So we got a spread, worked pretty well. Ironically, Tim Robb was playing coach of Wagga when Lockhart defeated them in its last premiership in 1960. Robb was a non-playing appointment, as Bluey Harper explains. Just on Tim, Bob Chambers really wanted to get him because he saw him playing back in the old Farrell League days in the 60s and when he coached Wagga Tigers and Colin Gully. After a few interviews and I went down and what he saw we were doing with the building and all that and I suppose a bit of enthusiasm, he decided to come on board. Tim used to sell cars. The Holden dealership, I think it was Ray White or something, is it, in Aubrey, told me one day it was not the car, but it was the colour that people bought. I thought that was an interesting comment. In other words, really, I, I don't think he knew anything about cars, but he used to sell them. One day he and Molly invited us down, family down for a day out, come back from the end, we were in the cars making funny noises, and Tim didn't have a clue what was going on. I said, pull up and we'll, I'll have a look under the bonnet, I think I know what it is, it was can air conditioner belt was broken. So I pulled it out and hiked it and everything was all right. Not a mechanic, just the colour. I found him and, and Molly really lovely people, genuine people, always asking about, you know, who's what and how's somebody going and couldn't hold him in more regard. It was Bob that really pushed it because I really, I was only along for the ride. I didn't know anything about him at all, what he'd done or anything. I mean, he played at Melbourne, I found out later. And a lot of the older guys, they didn't like him because they reckon he was a dirty ankle-tapping little rover. Yeah, I know a bit about that myself. In the finish, everybody come around and at the finish of it, winners were grinners. You know, it was a great result. The new league prompted new recruits, with Tim Robb bringing with him Mark O'Shaughnessy from Walbundry. Local lad Ross Campbell returned after two years at Osborne, where he was a member of Osborne's 1981 Hume grand final loss to Waller. The Knight brothers, forward Gary and Ruckman Rod, returned after an extended absence. Roger Stevens returned mid-season. Jamie Anderson, with his close ties to Murray Picton, arrived from Urana. Gary Knight explains his return. Sort of knew they had appointed a new coach and sort of knew Timmy's name, but just at work one day, I had a knock on the door at the factory and it was Tim Robb wanting to know if I won a game of footy. I only just retired from Wodonga Demons and I had a bit of trouble with my knees and I said, oh, I'm sort of cooked, I don't want to do it anymore. And he said, they're trying to get a few older fellas back to Lockhart, local boys if they can, top up a very young side. And, and I said, well, if I go, you better get on to my brother Rod and my brother Leyland. The three of us went up initially for pre-season training, but brother Leyland couldn't commit because he was working in Coryong. It was too far away, but Rod and I kept going with it. And once we got to Lockhart again, the deal was going to be that we'd travel up with Tibby on a Thursday night, training once a week, which made it a bit easier for us. And then Leyland dropped out. We kept going in up finding out there's a lot of older blokes coming back to the club at 
it was great. Yeah, the club initiated that, but I don't know where it actually come from, how they thought to get onto us. But my one and only premiership, I played in a few grand finals, but to go back to the home club with all the blokes we went to school with, hadn't seen for years, and turned out to be brilliant. Wasn't an easy year, but it turned out in the end to be the greatest. John Goody, a member of Henty's reserve grade flag in 1981, came to the club as seconds coach, while Mark Powell arrived in town as a school teacher at Lockhart Central School. A major loss was 1981 best and fairest winner, Peter Cactus Anderson, who moved to Port Lincoln to run an oyster farm, where he was joined by younger brother Mark. April 3 was round one, away to East Lavington, where Lockhart made the best possible debut, thumping the Saints by 113 points, with Warren Sykes kicking 13 goals and captain Graham Johnson dominating as Lockhart booted 30 goals, with Gary Knight, John Lane and John Goody all kicking four goals. The carnage continued in round two for Lockhart's first home game, hammering Walbundry by 173 points, with Sykes again kicking 13 goals. Peter Breed and John Goody both booted five in the 36-gold romp. The midfield class of Graham Johnston, Murray Pigden and Darren Smallwood was sending warning signs across the league, with 66 goals kicked in the first two rounds. Sykes explains how he landed in Lockhart from Melbourne. We had some family friends used to come down and watch the test at Christmas time and I just happened to be there and uh, they asked whether I'd... Well, actually, I was going around Australia, but I was going to Perth first, but they sort of asked if we'd like to come to Lockhart. I had a mate with me, play a bit of footy, so that's how I got there and got there in January 80. What made you stay at Lockhart? Oh, I got married. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not one to sort of travel around. I, I did... Could have gone a few places, but I ended up, I enjoyed it there. The people are great. The people I stayed with and I married their daughter and fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Round three was a trip to unbeaten Brocklesby, who were not expected to trouble the Demons. How wrong this turned out to be, as the Demons got a real reality check. After trailing by 13 points at halftime, Brocklesby blitzed the visitors with a 14 goal to three second half to win by 55 points. Paul Wooden, Graham Johnston, and Ross Campbell were the best of a beaten lot. Round four was a huge day for the Lockhart community with the opening of the new Lockhart Recreation Amenities Building and Club Rooms. Club President Bluey Harper explains more about the new rooms. Ray Turner and Stephen Daddle saw an ad for removal of the wings of the Kerma Hospital. I think there was about three of them. These were built after the war for the Snowy Mountain Scheme. Ray, Steve and myself went to Kerma to have a look. With a fair bit of pushing from Steve Daddle, he said it could be done. The asking price, the building was 11000 We got one for 6000 once we haggled. So in January, uh, we went off with approximately 20 blokes. Uh, there was an advance party. That was Tommy, Steve, Big Rod Harbright. Uh, they went on Tuesday. Thursday, a couple of car loads of us went, and then the rest turned up on Friday. We had it down by Saturday, early Sunday morning. It was like a Meccano set. Everything's got a spot and a screw or whatever, and you just got to put them together. We had to get a crane to shift the trusses. What we were going to do with the floor, it was a beautiful wooden floor. Anyway, I was talking to a bloke who I bought some cattle off 10 years ago who worked at the pub where we drank. I told him the story. He put it over the air and the next morning a bloke arrived and purchased it. We sold for 500 It doesn't seem much money now. This money paid for the accommodation for the blokes at the caravan park and all the meals for everyone. Hey, Turner used to go down and get the meals at the, the Loaded Dog Cafe. There was a girl there. He thought he fell in love with her for a while. 
and she thought it was Christmas, us getting all these hamburgers and hell knows what else. A couple of weeks later, five trucks from Birkinshaw and Hannon's, and I think Greg Finnan might have had one there too. Uh, we loaded it all. Walls were on the bottom, trusses on the top. Not much weight because it's all made of aluminium. We decided to lay the slab. Twelve blokes worked on it that day. The whole town was getting behind it. It was, you know, it was really building up. Uh, there was 18 trucks of cement come down from Wagga. They started arriving about six in the morning. We had lights up. In January, by that stage, we demolished the old building. 5,000 ladies auxiliary, because that was getting wound up, which paid for the transport and the crane again. We got all up. We got a grant for 11,000 from the Shire and 11,000 pay back. So that's how it all started. And then we had to fit it out and every other thing. Osborne were the opponent and, like Lockhart, had registered two wins to start its season. Up for grabs was the inaugural Cornell Cup. The momentous day was celebrated accordingly with a convincing 69-point victory with Osborne's dreadful inaccuracy highlighted by one goal 12 in the final term. The win left Lockhart in third place behind unbeaten Henty and Brocklesby. Warren Sykes booted six goals to take his season's tally to 36, while Graham Johnson, Tommy Wooden, Murray Pigden and Marco Shaughnessy dominated. Round five was a home game against Burren Buddock. Lockhart started well to lead by five goals at half-time, with defenders Ross Campbell, Tommy Wooden and Beres Dowdle in superb form. However, a six-goal third term by Burren Buddick cut the margin to 12 points at the last change. The visitors maintained the momentum to hit the lead and despite a late charge from Lockhart, the Swans won by seven points. Warren Sykes, six goals, Mark O'Shaughnessy and Murray Pigden were others to shine in the disappointing second-half fade-out. Coach Tim Robb was furious with the defeat and ordered all players to be at training on Tuesday early when he got there, ready to go. Bluey Harper and Tommy Gooden take up the story that had Bluey and Secretary Bobby Chambers in a spin, while Rex Shiva said it had an impact. I appeared at training, uh, but Tim had already got there with the boys from um, from Albury, Gary Knight. And as soon as I pulled up, he said, I'm going home. I said, you what? Just got here. He said, well, there's only about 10 or 12 blokes in there. If they're not fair income, I'm not going to be fair income. I'm going home. I said, right well, so they jumped in the car with him, otherwise I would have to walk back. Hooter Johnson took the training that night because he was the captain of the side. Poor old Bob used to stutter a bit. That was the worst part. Well, he couldn't hardly get it out, tell me, you know, what's going on and... Bob was bloody totally stressed, you know. Well, there's only one way to fix this. So we grabbed all the blokes that were there and um, said, right, our fellas, Bob and myself are going to ring such and such. And a couple of them said, well, I'll ring such and such. We just had a big muster, told them to get here or we won't have a coach. So Thursday night he turned up, everything was rosy, off we went again. Always there early, and a few other blokes, and then a few blokes. But we supposed to start at six o'clock. If you weren't had a lap or two done by six o'clock, you know, no, just coming in after it, and he was rapable. He said, "I'm not putting up with this bloody stuff if you're not fair dinking." You know, and he said, "Buggies." He jumped in his car and took off. And you know, we're all looking around, and Bob Chambers and Bluey were sort of said, "Geez, we've lost our coach." You had to be fair dinking with Robbie. Well, Robbie was always fair dinking, but whatever he said. You just took notice of and whatever. So I don't think we anyone was late. Everyone was about to be there at half past five from then on. 
Like I remember he turned up one night for training. The Hooter and I, we had a table tennis table set up in a visitor's room and we will play table tennis. And uh, he just walked in, saw us playing table tennis and got in his car and drove home. He said, if you blokes aren't fair Nick, and well, I'm not sticking around. <laughs> yeah. He just drove straight home. We, he didn't train us at all. Yeah, that sort of shook us up a bit. And bloody, yeah, we thought, oh, geez. Nah, it didn't pan out that way. He thought we'd be there bloody eager and waiting, but we are just sort of waiting for him. We, uh, we didn't make that mistake again. It was a new side that year, and uh, it took a while to get gel as such. But, yeah, we uh, it was quite a new side from the previous year because we're going from the Farrow League where we are on the bottom and we had a pretty handy side, but just having a pretty handy side and Robbie developing us into one. So I, I don't think we were as professional as he he was that he's willed to win when he started but um he soon got us thinking that way next up was a trip to henty for the first meeting of the old Farrell league foes henty were unbeaten after five rounds after an even first quarter henty completely dominated the final three terms kicking 19 goals to nine to run out big winners 24 12 156 to 13 14 94. Gary Knight with five goals was the Demons' best, along with Rolly Alexander, Ross Campbell and Steve Dowdle. Gary Knight and Tommy Gooden recall the bizarre post-match antics from coach Tim Robb. Yeah, that was something that caught us all off guard. Hedy beat us convincingly, but Robbie always sort of thought that they were never that good. Right after the game, they actually didn't even leave the field. He called us into the middle on the ground. Hedy team was just still leaving the ground. The crowd was all there still yelling out and carrying on. And he said, uh, righto, you blokes. That was a pathetic performance. The only two guys that had a bit of a crack today was Gary Knight and Sykesy. For that, they can go up to the sheds. The rest of you blokes are going to stay out in the ground and do a bit of work. Well, that didn't go down too good. They did it, though. They, he made them do a few laps and just a few run-throughs. And, of course, the Henny crowd just loved that. They just give it to the lockout boys. And the boys never forgot that. And Sykes and I were up in the rooms with the top of the hill in those days, looking down and we're going, geez, we shouldn't be in here. But anyway, Sykesy wasn't going back. That's for sure. Yeah, the boys did it hard and they come in. Well, it was on then. They come in. They didn't think much of us. A few years later, I had a reunion at Lockhart, on a few beers in the in the sheds, and, and the boys said to me, Dice, Sykesy and I owe them a lap because they'd done extra. They made me go out at 10 o'clock that night and do a lap of the Lockhart Oval and do a few push-ups on the way around as payback, but I never ever got Sykesy back for it, though. No, that was a big thing then. Um, meant a lot to Robbie, and he knew what he was talking about because he kept bringing it up after that, so obviously it worked. He was pretty well upset about that. Well, so were we. We were pretty down the dumps too to get in a bit of a flog and it was. We're up in them old chook sheds. So when he came across and, and, you know, called us out and he said, well, you didn't play good enough and hard enough and whatever, so you can do a couple of laps. But in the meantime, he said, no, said to Sykesy and, and Gary Knight, you're right. So they went up into the shed while we'd done a, done a few laps and we were pissed off because all the Henny crowd were yelling at us and, you know, cheering and that. Wasn't a real good feeling and that. So anyway, we got up there. Then we got another race and then we got up there. Anyway, the other other two boys were sort of, they were a bit guilty of sort of not coming to do a couple of laps with us. But anyway, it, it was and we still we still talk about that. We give them a bit of a lip when we have a bit of a reunion every now and then, the two, two pets or the sooks. Having lost three of its last four games, Lockhart were holding on to fourth position by percentage. Equal with three other teams, including Howlong, who were travelling to Lockhart for the Round 7 clash. In one of the games of the season, Howlong fought back from a half-time deficit to win a thriller by eight points and replaced Lockhart in the top four. Lockhart had kicked five goals in each of the first two quarters to lead by 13 points at half-time. Howlong had given signs in the second term they were in town to play, but nine behinds 
had been a poor reward. The shift of Wayne Gould up forward resulted in a nine-goal third term for the Spiders as they restricted Lockhart to just two goals to lead by 28 points. Warren Sykes, Tommy Wooden and Murray Pigden led a fight back, but the day belonged to Howlong as the Demons contemplated its third straight loss. Round eight was away to second last place Jindera. It was the first time Lockhart had experience playing in opposition who had the same jumper Lockhart wore in the Farrell League. As Bluey Harper explains, it was not a smooth transition. This came about via the constitution of Lockhart Football Club, that it'd be red, white and blue. The Melbourne colours were chosen, the white emblem and uh, numbers on the back being white and the red and the blue. Instead of the Bulldogs, we become the day in 82. That was because Jindra, they already had that colour, so you went, once you're moving into a new league, you can't sort of dictate what colour jumper you wanted, so so we had to change. But, oh, the first time we played them, it was down there. I reckon every lockout bloke at some stage of the day either kicked it or handballed it to the opposition, thinking oh, they're still playing in the Bulldog colours. You know, it's pretty hard to get that out of your system when you've played in those colours for five or six years. But we got rolled by a point and Tim Rob was absolutely rovable, but I, I just said to him later, I said, look, old habits die hard. i just got to get used to not having that jumper. So that's what happened. The one-point loss after leading at half-time was Lockhart's fourth straight defeat, a huge fall from grace after being in top position six weeks ago. Club football took a break for the interleague clash in Wagga against the Riverina and District Football League, formerly the Farrah Football League, at Mar Oval. Lockhart had four players selected, Graham Johnston, Ross Campbell, Warren Sykes and Murray Pigden. Hume won a high scoring clash 24-13-157 to 21-18-144. Eight goals in the second quarter and another 10 in the third set up the 13 point win with Warren Sykes kicking six goals. To complete the halfway point of the home and away season, Lockhart hosted defending Premier's Waller with its season firmly on the line. Lockhart found a spark, stunning the visitors with an eight-goal first quarter that set up the final margin of 60 points. Murray Pigden, Darren Smallwood and Mark O'Shaughnessy dominated the midfield, while up forward, Warren Sykes' six goals and Gary Knight three were outstanding. In the top of the table clash, Brocklesby came from six goals down to defeat Henty for the first time in 40 years, leaving both teams equal leaders at the halfway point of the season. How long were one game behind in third, with Waller fourth a further game behind and percentage ahead of Burren Buddick and East Lavington. Lockhart and Osborne were both level with four wins. Lockhart's seconds, they were in sixth place with five wins, while the thirds were second last with just one win. Lockhart welcomed East Lavington in round 10 and after an even first half took control to run out 37 point winners. Graham Johnston, Leon Tipping with four goals, Murray Pigden and Tom Wooden all starred. The umpire for the game was former Australian light heavyweight boxing champion Johnny Gorkum, who was probably fairly impressed with some of the action, as Rexy Shiva explains. And Hooter himself, not uh, Hooter was just tough. Is I remember at East Lavie here at home, I uh, I got taken high because a dirty shirt front as such, and uh, I'm on my back obviously, and. Uh, and next minute, all I hear was whack, 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 and this East Levy guy, next minute, he's down low beside me. So, uh, yeah, you, uh, <laughs> got, uh, you, you knew your back was covered, so it was, our side was good. 
Major reasons, I think we did win the flag was their leadership from Huda, you know, one of the toughest guys they've played with, no, if not the toughest. Yeah, and uh, as, as so well led and with the coaching of Robbie, that actually got us all to gel together in the end and uh, and he just led by example. So it was a pleasure to play under him. Tommy Wooden said another tough operator was coach Tim Robb, who loved to mix it up at training and get him with the boys. He did. He used to get in the, in the sort of where you have a bit of a square and or a circle and that, and he'd throw a ball in and it'd be two or three against each other, and he'd mix it up. Fair different age. We was, we were, he was probably 40 years older than us, and we thought, well, you know, we didn't want to hit him too hard, and he said, well, you're slot. Started hitting him a bit hard, and anyway, he still doesn't worry. He still managed, but after a while he pulled out. But he knew who he had to go up against, I think, you know, and I said after a while, he, I know he wouldn't come up against me or Hooter or Field or Big Roger Stevens. He picked his weaker ones, but don't worry, he was pretty tough at it too. He was good. Club football was again on hold for the Rothmans Cup interleague clash with the Upper Murray Football League at Jindera. Again, Lockhart had Ross Campbell, Graham Johnston, Warren Sykes and Murray Pigden playing. A Warren Sykes masterclass paved the way for the Humes' thumping 83-point win. Sykes, who played on the ball and up forward, kicked nine goals and set up several others. The Warren Sykes show continued into club football the following week when, for the third time in 11 rounds, he kicked 13 goals in a match. The return of Peter Hyde from Broken Hill and Roger Stevens from the Gold Coast was a huge boost for the Demons. Stevens played an important role, as fellow big man Rod Knight explains. Well, Roger was sort of the, the fighter. He, he, he didn't mind a scrap. But I, I played hard footy, but I also um, looked after younger blokes, you know. I didn't fight anybody. If I hit him, I hit him, you know, physically with the body, not... That wasn't part of my thing, but Roger Roger didn't mind a fight. He was pretty handy with them. Um, that wasn't me. I'm a lover, not a fighter. One incident in the, in the grand final, Mother Pigden rucking for them, and he, he knocked Mother over, or near our goal line it was. Murray went down, so I just went down, give this bloke a big whack and put him down. Then he was given a free kick, and Mother gets up and says, oh, come on, Nighty, I was going to get a goal out of that. <laughs> he was taken for a free kick to get a goal. I didn't know that. I thought he was out. <laughs> Howlong claimed top spot after beating Henty, while East Lavington defeated second place Brocklesby to leave just two games between top position and seventh on the ladder. Lockhart in fifth were at home to third place Brocklesby and keen to reverse the result of round three, with a win likely to see the Demons back in the top four. In a seesawing game for three quarters, Lockhart hit its straps in a stunning final term. Down by 12 points at the final change, Lockhart unleashed a 10-goal term to win by 38 points. Warren Sykes with 10 goals was well supported by Gary Knight, Peter Hyde and Murray Pigden, while Peter Alexander, Tommy Wooden and Beres Dowdle defended superbly. With four straight wins and the competition's best percentage, Lockhart, despite being outside the top four, was starting to gain momentum and confidence with the finals firmly on the agenda ahead of the rivalry clash at Osborne. It was to be the debut of Lockhart's Mark Powell, as he recalls. I was at the Central School 
turned up and it was just a matter of um, what you do in town for a bit of fun and um, AFL was obviously the sport. It was just, just AFL, so um, yeah, that, that was fine by me. I was, I'd, I'd seen it on TV, so I had a, had a bit of bit of an idea. There was a ball and an oval and um, fun, and I, I had no idea what I was in for, no idea how serious the town was about it. <laughs> Timmy Rob didn't like me at the start. I, I, found, I found out later why. Um, he coached a team prior to, to Lockhart. I don't know exactly what team, some other country football team. But he did confide to me that he'd coached this team. One of the players in it was a school teacher. He was an uh, uncoachable dickhead. So Timmy Rob, I think, had formed this view that school teachers were uncoachable dickheads. <laughs> well, obviously, I got select prize me. You know, I always tell, tell anyone that listen that when they say, how long would it take you so long to go to, go to first grade? My standard answer to that was, well, I wouldn't go until I could take Rex up with me. Because <laughs> we, we both we both ended up playing uh, playing first grade at the same time because we were both in reserves. Rex and I um, started out me in first grade on the for the same game as Osborne, I think, which was a, a pretty wild game. But there you go. It was a very humbling experience for me to be be part of it. Still can't believe how huge it was for, for the town and, and, and how lucky I was to be amongst that group of players. Yeah, it was awe-inspiring just being there, being part of it. Warren Sykes went into the game against Osborne, needing seven goals to bring up the century. And after a slow start, where Lockhart trailed by seven points at half-time, Sykes and Lockhart lifted in grand fashion to win by 57 points and put an end to Osborne's season. In the time's fiery encounter, Sykes brought up his century in the final term, finishing with eight goals. Lockhart's Roger Stevens and Osborne enforcer Morris Eames were both reported in a fiery first half. Mark Powell made an impressive debut for Lockhart, while veterans Gary Knight and Ian Bluey Harper both booted three goals. Despite the win, Lockhart was still in fifth place after all top four teams recorded victories. Bluey Harper, the Lockhart defence lawyer at tribunals, said the Roger Stevens report just like the Graham Hooter Johnson report earlier in the season, panned out okay. Well, they're both fairly similar. I forget who, who happened to push, but I know Roger Stevens in round 13 happened to push uh, Roger Snyder. So that was our argument. We pushed him. That's all. And uh, anyway, we were at the tribunal, and oh, both umpires didn't turn up. Believe it or not, I don't know who was at fault there, but which I think helped us when they weren't about the umpires, you know, to push their case. Same same argument, a push. I might have just had a bit of a think about it after. Des Kennedy, who was a renowned secretary of the Hume League, he was a bit on our side, and, and I just reckon he might have had a little bit of a talk to the tribunal at the same time while it was all happening. I won't be able to prove that, but it was just a, just an inclination I had, so I thank him for that. We picked up Roger. Yeah, that's right, we did, yeah. He was all right. Other than that, I might have rang Roger up or something, and Johnny, John Ryan, I think. He was uh, Roger's advocate. I said, we've got to go to this bloody tribunal all the way to Aubrey. Well, oh, we might have discussed a few things on the way down and got it worked out pretty well amongst ourselves, and um, nobody wanted to go to jail over it, and we just went with the push theory, and, um, you know, that was the end of that argument. So we had a good trip down and a good trip back. Well, there wasn't any malice. Otherwise, why would you sit in the same car with him? Want a whacking one again or something? It's a pity um, you weren't around for Ned Kelly back in the day, Bluey, the way you went with your, your two from two in 1982 at the tribunal. Yeah, yeah, one and both. That was a fluke. <laughs> Didn't expect to win any of them. There you go. Well played, Bluey. 
A blistering 11-goal first quarter by Lockhart dispelled any thoughts of a danger game at Burren Buttock in round 14 as Lockhart cruised to a 70-point win. Warren Sykes kicked seven and Harper four, while down back, Tommy Wooden and Ross Campbell kept the Swans forwards quiet. Peter Alexander suffered a serious cork thigh that turned out to be worse than first fought. Alexander explains. Got into the game spar it was mid-July and I copped a pretty hard knee to the thigh, a pretty bad corky as it turned out. I played out the rest of the game under a fair bit of duress, but I remember the coach saying to me after the game, he thought I had a pretty quiet game and I, I didn't want to tell him that I was could barely walk, let alone run. So I trained the following Tuesday and Thursday, hoping to run the injury out before Saturday's game. Went down to the pub after training on Thursday, you know, waiting for the selectors to name a side. And it was the middle of July, it was quite cold, so stood in front of the fire for half an hour or so. In hindsight, that wasn't the right thing to do. It was a completely wrong thing to do. Next morning, about two o'clock, my leg just blew up like a balloon. You know, it was about twice the size of the other one. Got taken into the local hospital and transported by ambulance to the Albury Private Hospital later that morning and got operated on later that afternoon to remove a fairly large blood clot. Well, I was probably uh, big as your fist. Yeah, so the doctor said, the surgeon said it's quite large. Yeah, so pretty major operation. Yeah, you didn't want, you didn't want that uh, blood clot to travel anywhere else. Despite a sixth straight win and the competition's best percentage, the Demons remained in fifth place with the top four all being equal on 10 wins and four losses as Lockhart prepared for a huge round 15 home game against Henty. A large home crowd was in attendance as the informed Demons knew a win would put them back in the top four. Whatever hopes they had were left in the change rooms as Henty humiliated them in a thumping 75-point win. 45 scoring shots to 25 summed up the lopsided contest as Henty stormed into premiership favouritism and Lockhart contemplated the reality of missing finals with just three rounds remaining and a tough fixture to negotiate. Lockhart, with pride dented, limped to Howlong for a massive clash. The outcome was simple. A win over the third place Spiders would see Lockhart back in the top four. A loss would have their finals hopes hanging by a thread. The game was a rugged and bruising affair, with the game in the balance throughout. Lockhart had its nose in front at three-quarter time, leading by five points. In a tense final term, it was the class and the skill of Warren Sykes that guided the Demons home by 18 points and a return to the top four for the first time in 10 rounds. Sykes, who finished with seven goals, kicked four of them in a brilliant last quarter. Peter Hyde with three goals, Beres Dowdle and Tommy Wooden in defence, and in dominant midfield games by Graham Johnston and Mark O'Shaughnessy got the job done. Lockhart with an eight-goal effort from Warren Sykes and season-best games by Rolly Alexander and Mark Powell won its final home game for the season over Jindera by 65 points to move into third place. Teammate Peter Alexander said Powell had strict rules from the coach and was somewhat of a good luck charm to the team. Obviously, Timmy Robin, the selectors, had seen him play twos and thought he was good enough to step up. First game came along and he had a bit of a chat to Mark before the game. He said, don't, don't kick the football. Mark said, I beg your pardon? Don't kick the football. Just handball the football. Yeah, but what if I'm in trouble? No, just handball it. Every time, handball the football. Don't kick it. Yeah, but, but, but no, just I'll have blokes running off you. I'll have, I'll have blokes around you. I'll have blokes supporting you. You know, metres from you. Just handball it every time. I'll, by the end of the season, I think he, he would have had a 100-plus handballs 
at about four kicks. He also he didn't play in a losing side that year in the seconds or the first. Rarity, yeah. He, the only game we lost in the second half, he obviously wasn't playing that game, no. So that was one of his quirks. So anyhow, it panned out well for Mark because he played in the grand final. If Timmy thought we weren't focusing or giving 100%, he used to get his uh, great mate Bernie Bell up from Albury. He was an insurance salesman, so he had the gift of the gab. He um, gave us a few motivational talks after training, you know, about three or four times during the season. So that certainly helped a little bit. That was one of Timmy's um, sort of offside quirks, yeah. Brocklesby, despite having 14 more scoring shots, were beaten at home by a point to Osborne, resulting in Brocklesby dropping out of the top four for the first time all season. They would have stayed in, but how long put an end to Waller's seven-game winning streak to jump ahead of Brocklesby? So, with one round remaining, the makeup of the top four was very uncertain. Lockhart had an away trip to defending Premier's Waller. The worst-case scenario was this, a loss to Waller and a Brocklesby win over Henty, which was the case in round nine, would mean Lockhart would miss finals, as fourth-placed Howlong were playing bottom side while Bundry. The best-case scenario? Well, it was much simpler. A win over Waller and Lockhart would, remarkably, after spending half the season out of the top four, in fact, jump into second place and secure a double chance in the finals. In a high-standard first half, Lockhart led narrowly at quarter time by a point, and five points at half-time. The other interest was in the game, 20 minutes away, where a desperate Brocklesby were just 10 points behind Henty at half-time. Lockhart were able to take things into their own hands with a commanding second-half performance that added 12 second-half goals to overrun the Hoppers for a 41-point win and second place on the ladder. A four-pronged attack led by Warren Sykes, eight goals, John Goody, five, and three each to Gary Knight and Murray Pigden, accounted for 19 of the 21 golds. Henty stormed home in the second half to end Brocklesby's season and claim top spot. Minor Premier's Henty finished two games clear of Lockhart, Howlong and Waller, who were all on 12 wins and six losses. Brocklesby, they were the hard luck story, finishing fifth, one game out, after occupying the top four for 16 of the 18 weeks. Lockhart missed finals in both reserves and thirds, with the twos winning seven games to finish sixth, while the junior brigade won just the three matches, finishing second last. Three players kicked the century, with Warren Sykes creating Hume League history with his 133 goals, a record. Jinder's Darrell Jordan kicked 12 in the final round to finish on 109, while Osborne's Rod Flea Colf kicked 15 goals in the final round to finish with 100. Peter Alexander spoke about the brilliant Sykes. I had skills on both sides of his body. 40 years ago was a rarity, so to speak. He um, he led well, he knew where the ball was, he knew where, where the players were going to put it out in front of him every time. One grab mark and a very, very accurate kick at goal. Uh, he kicked 140-odd for the season and then not many points. So that certainly adds to the bottom line of wins versus losses ratio for the season. He could play a full forward, forward flank, Ruck Rover. He was an outside player. He wasn't an inside player. We had enough inside players. And he knew that. He was smart enough to know that. And he'd, he'd come from a North Melbourne 
also. So he, he had a number of mates who were also very good football. One of the most skillful ones down there, yeah. Didn't quite make it, so came up and slotted in quite nicely into the demon side. Pete, he just lobbed into town too, didn't he? I think he was a little yeah. bit of a backstory behind that. Yeah, he was. He had a mate from Melbourne and they didn't quite make the, the North Melbourne selection side of the draft. They decided to go around Australia. They'd call in a lock-up for some reason, stopped here and he had a couple of games and he's his mate, uh, his mother passed away, so he moved back to Melbourne and Warren stayed and married a local girl here and played for a number of seasons for us. So we were very fortunate to have his skills and to be able to watch his skills over a number of years. The Sunday after the final round, the league best and fairest voting and presentation night was conducted with a thrilling tie in the Azai medal between handy teenager Craig Lesky and Lockhart captain Graham Hooter Johnston. Both finished on 20 votes. Lesky was awarded the medal on a countback, having polled six best-on-ground votes to Johnston's four. However, in later years, the Hume League retrospectively awarded a medal to Johnston. Aged just 18, Lesky had become the youngest winner of the award. Lockhart's other main vote-getters were Murray Pigden, 14 votes, Warren Sykes, 13, and Peter Hyde, 11. Sykes spoke about his year and his teammates. Incredible year, like 133 in the home and away, eight in the finals, 15 and two interleague games, so 156. Was that your best year of footy, you reckon? I wouldn't, no, I don't reckon it'd be best year, but I mean, when you're in a good side and you've got good players around you, they make it simple. I mean, it's good to kick a lot of goals, but I, I'd prefer to ruck rove. I'd rather be on the ball and kick goals. Peter Hyde and I used to change ruck rove and yeah, it was an enjoyable year because you win a flag and you, that's what you play for. You know, you, no disrespect. I mean, they just weren't good enough. We had a premiership side. Good blokes kicking to the ball makes a hell of a difference. I was lucky enough that I could read the game. You can't teach that. You're born with that, and I was lucky I was born with that. I mightn't have been a triple-A student, but I could, <laughs> I could play footy, you know. Like I said, you've got good players around you and you know where to run. Taught early to kick left foot. Nowadays, they don't. you've got to be an athlete, not a footballer. Week one of the Hume final series pitted Howlong against defending Premier's Waller. In an enthralling contest, Waller kept alive its hopes of a third straight flag, coming from behind in the last quarter to win by nine points and inflict the Spiders' 10th first semi-final defeat in the last 30 years. All eyes now turn to the second semi-final, with Henty a raging favourite after five weeks earlier hammering Lockhart by 75 points. Peter Alexander, he was the only demon unavailable as he continued his race against time to play following a leg injury in round 14. A crowd of over 4,000 were at Walbundry to witness a stunning display of football from Lockhart, who belted Henty by a whopping 94 points. An incredible 28-goal turnaround from five weeks ago. Lockhart took an 11-point lead into quarter time before Henty had hit back, kicking four early second-quarter goals to in fact hit the lead. It was at this point that Lockhart turned on a brand of football that was close to perfection. They booted 10 goals to complete the second quarter and take a 53-point lead into half-time. They maintained the quality in the third term, kicking another eight goals to two to lead by 15 goals at the last change. The Demons finished off the game by kicking five goals to post a memorable victory and into its first grand final since 1968 and hopes of its first premiership since 1960. The score of 28 goals, 14 behinds, 182 
was the second highest score in any Hume League final. Murray Pignan was best on ground with over 30 possessions and three goals. The Demons forward line was superb with surprise packet John Goody kicking seven, Warren Sykes six, Peter Hyde five and Gary Knight three. Pigden explains the sides rise. Obviously an interesting season because we did start always like hey and then went bad and we just kept building I think and having Robbie uh, he was in full swing. Getting phone, I'd get a phone call repetitively you know once a week without doubt so did most of the team. His way of making sure the only thing you were thinking about was, was the game in the coming week just hounded us to make sure we had our game boots on and then he'd ask you questions he said you know tell me you know this bloke better than me how am I going to get more out of him? So he'd drill you about everybody else, and then he'd ring that bloke what you'd you told him. So that was one of the one of the things of that year that kept springing to mind. It was a slow build, and we built and built and built. But we we did. We all kept going, and uh, and it was it was uh, a, a great turnaround for sure. Two finals games. Yeah, you had a good year, but best on ground in both. Did you do anything different ahead of the finals or what was the secret? A bit of motivation on, on wanting to win a final, number one, and then wanting to win a grand final, number two. You know, lucky enough to be fit enough, small enough and angry enough <laughs> as well, you know, what they say about short men. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I felt uh, real honoured to be there and, and wanted to do my bit for, for the rest of us because, you know, we were, every one of us was a very different different person and a different player. So we all had something contribute and I guess mine was just trying to get the ball, get crumbs. I wasn't a great kick and wasn't certainly, it certainly wasn't a great kick because all the boys kept telling me. I reckon they did more running after my kicking than anything else in the world. I could certainly get the thing off the ground. I just applied my skill set where it was, uh, I thought it could be best used. Yeah, look, I had a couple of minders almost. So Gary Knight, every time I was in trouble, and I was in trouble a lot, you know, amongst it, a fellow called Jamie Ando, a good mate of mine. So whenever there was in trouble, I'd only have to just put my head down for a minute and the trouble was cleared. So, yeah. <laughs> was like having a couple of security guards following you around. <laughs> Very fortunate. It was a great season. That last game being in the grand final is something that you never forget. And I think there's so many footballers that never actually play in one that place of some great clubs. I was fortunate enough to play in it. And that peer group of guys you were with, their friends for life and their mates for life, that one common denominator that you all shared at that one point in time. Rolly Alexander was given the role of running with Azai medalist Craig Lesky, with Alexander keeping the brilliant Lesky very quiet. Demon skipper Graham Hooter Johnson was always confident of turning the tables. Funnily enough, I reasonably confident we could beat him. We played our best game in the, in the second semi, really, as far as brand of football. And you know, even though any of a good side had beat us, I just pretty good state of mind going into that. I, and I really thought we could beat him. Not to that extent that we did. Going back, I think we thrashed him in the second semi. Just couldn't do a thing wrong on the day and ran all over it. I remember Murray Pigden played a really good game. Yeah, I think he might have got best on round or something. I, and I Rolly Alexander played on Craig Whiskey, who was there. Their guns sort of thing. And a young guy at the time, you know, really done a good job. Henny Ruckman, Rod Knight, gave some insight into the coach Tim Robb's grand final preparation and some of his unique training methods. The main lead-up for us as a team, but also as individuals, how each player could improve another 10% in their mind and what they could contribute on the other day and take no prison without going over the top. Sort of like two weeks before, this is what we had to do, you know, as each player 
apart from the teamwork in themselves, a little bit extra can they give on that on that given day, the grand final day, you know. Just to keep everybody focused because grand final you can win or lose pretty quickly and we didn't want to lose, or he didn't want us to lose either. So that was the main thing. I know everybody had to write a letter for Robbie. I mean, two weeks before the grand final. I don't know where there's letters finished up, but what each player thought he could give on the, on on grand final, like a little bit extra. A few got read out. That's why Robbie got each player for their own individual skills. You know what what they were good at. So all the team was the same thing. He knew each what each player could give. One thing Robbie done different to all my life of playing footy was, you know, he used to do the old circle work, kick around the around the ground the circle work. He changed all that and only used half the ground. What he'd do, we'd start, start in the ruck, kick out to the left-hand flank first, and we'd go around that, like, right through the, the back pocket, the forward line, then out the other side on the left foot, and back to the centre, and you go the other way, so everybody had to kick on their right foot. And that was really interesting. That taught blokes, like, you can't, you haven't got to kick it far, as long as you kick it forward. That was a really interesting exercise, which we all enjoyed that very much, and it worked very well for us during the year as well. It made people start looking over the left, right shoulder, handball on opposite hands, you know. On a history-making day at Walbundry, the preliminary final result was the first ever drawn final in the league's 38-year history. Henty had led all day and with three goals up 20 minutes into the final quarter before Waller mounted a comeback to draw level. The replay dragged another huge crowd, witnessing an amazing first half that had Waller start in great fashion, booting eight goals to two to lead by 34 points at quarter time. The Swampy second quarter was stunning booting 12 goals to lead by 27 points at half-time. Henty stayed in control after half-time to win by 50 points and in two, its first ever Hume Football League Grand Final. While the replay preliminary final was being played, Lockhart also played, with coach Tim Robb arranging a game against Ovens and Murray Grand Finalists in waiting, Lavington, at the Arana Road Oval. Players got through the game unscathed, However, there was one hiccup at training that week, as Tommy Wooden explains. Well, Robbie was the same. He said, you've got to go in hard and that. And we were, I was up against Tudor and that. We will go for a few contests. And he said, you're not going hard enough, boys. So we stepped it up a bit and I was behind Tudor and that. And I went up for the spoil and he must because it's... He's got a pretty big nose. He's pretty hard to miss. So he got in the road and instead of pacing the ball, I hit his bloody nose. So, <laughs> oh, Jesus, it was a bit of, you know, I thought it was hell. Captain of the side and bloody, you know, week before the grand final, what's going to go on? But it's only a broken nose, who'd have said so. Peter <laughs> was a tough bloke and a good leader. Tremendous bloke he was, yeah. For the first time all season, Lockhart had all players available for the grand final, including defender Peter Alexander, who had not played in nine weeks following a leg injury. Alexander explains the injury and his good fortune in playing in the decider. Well, there was, there was times obviously early on when I thought it was going to be struggling because it was more than halfway through the season. It was a number of um, factors helped me gain the position in the grand final. We also won the last game of the season, home and away, won it well enough to finish in second spot, which allowed us to play in the second semi. Um, you know, if we hadn't won that last game, we wouldn't have been playing final. It would have been first to fifth on the ladder. There's only one game separating those five sides. So so we didn't have to play the first semi. Second semi we played, well, I wasn't ready for that. Um, and fortunately, another factor that helped me put myself up for selection was preliminary final was a draw. That was replayed 
in full the following week, uh, which gave me an extra week to be fit enough for selection in the grand final. So there's a number of factors. Another factor was we had a practice match against Lavington the weekend of the preliminary replay, which Blue Harper played. Blue had had a very good season and was one of the best players on the ground that day. He then very selflessly decided not to put himself up for selection for the grand final. Now, Blue, Blue, he wasn't old by any stretch of the imagination. He was still in his 20s playing very good footy. But he decided to step aside and let a younger player have the opportunity to play in the grand final. And that decision uh, still to this day resonates very strongly amongst the players from that year. And that was the decision that worked in my favour, yeah. So I was very fortunate for, uh, you know, any number of reasons to get a start in the grand final and also ultimately play in the premiership. I had been training quite a fair bit and Timmy Robb put a fair bit of pressure on me to make sure that I was ready for the grand final. The training drills and uh, competitive training and tackling, he obviously and the selectors obviously thought I was up to the task by the time the grand final came around. Six or eight weeks, I think it was, in between the injury and getting back to the grand final. The unlucky player admitted for Alexander was Leon Tipping, while President Bluey Harper, a veteran of the club, made an incredibly selfless decision to coach Tim Robb and selectors, whom he was chairman of, despite an excellent game in the practice game against Lavington. Harper tells more. I had knee in the second last game in 80, and I never had the operation till 81. So I had to get a reconstruction, and June was about the earliest I could come back. You know, they always said 12 months. By the time I started playing again, I was getting better as each week because a bit of a mind over matter is whether your knee's going to hold up or not, you know. Anyway, by, by the time the finals come around, I was playing all right. I think I might have had one or two games back in the first by that stage. Pretty hard to get in the first because there's about 28 of us all trying to get into 20, you know, selecting the side, and I was the chairman, actually. But mind you, I didn't have to, but Tim always had it worked out who he wanted to play and... He knew Wednesday night practically what he what the side would be for the next week. But anyway, it was the Thursday night, and just to get the balance right, we thought we might need a, a bigger bloke in case something went wrong. You know, somebody was a bit tougher and whatever, and Ross Brennan filled that bill. He'd run through anything, so I thought that's the right thing to do. So, so Ross played. No interchange back then, and Peter Alexander went... He was 19th and Ross was 20th. So that's how come that all come about. You know, I've times I thought maybe I was good, but there were other blokes that were just as good as me that didn't play in it. There was Philip Buffler and Leon Tipping and four or five of us that, that were there, but doesn't go into 20. Teammate and Lockhart Games record holder Tommy Wooden maintains Bluey Harper made the wrong call. The reason why he'd done that, he was still playing good footy and he thought, oh, I'll give a couple of young blokes a bit of a go. And that's what sort of happened. And probably a bit selfish of Bluey to do that. He'd done all the hard yards and when it turns out, a couple of young blokes did get into the grand final and that. That was it. we never seen him since. Wished he sort of did play because he would have played in the grand final if he didn't send himself down. Yeah, it was a bit of a pity that. Bluey put a lot of work into the footy club over the years and that and he deserves something like that. So, but anyway, you're never going to play with the same mates again ever again in the premiership side no matter what it is you reckon you'll go back to back or whatever that but there's always one or two blokes that don't make it or, or go away or something and, and that's what happened like Bluey would have been he would have been down there in our grand final side Robbie tried to talk him into it yeah because I remember talking to Robbie about it and that because Robbie and that used to have a bit of a yarn after the training and that and sort of said what do you think of that and I said I don't think it's right Robbie and he reckoned the same thing too but anyway it was, it was Bluey's call 
On a perfect spring day and a record Hume grand final gate, Henny won the toss and kicked with the advantage of the breeze to the northern end. The Lockhart defence, led by Rex Sheever, Beres Dowdle, Tom Wooden and Ross Campbell, were magnificent, keeping Henty to just two goals for the quarter. Murray Pignan landed a goal for Lockhart to leave Henty five points up at quarter time. Lockhart didn't take long to take advantage of their turn with the breeze, with Graham Johnson passing to Peter Hyde, who goaled and put the Demons in front. A lead they never surrendered. Hyde added two more, and Rod Knight another, to have Lockhart lead at half-time by 22 points, after allowing Henty just one goal for the quarter. Mark Powell and defender Steve Dowdle provided plenty of drive for forwards Gary Knight and Peter Hyde. The Henty comeback kicked into gear when Craig Leschke goaled inside five minutes to start the second half. They struggled, however, to penetrate the defiant Demons defence, taking until late in the quarter before adding another two goals to reduce the margin to four points at the final change. Again, Lockhart had done a sterling job, curbing the Swampy scoring. Warren Sykes had kicked all of Lockhart's free behinds in the quarter. Rolly Alexander was doing a terrific job tagging Lesky, while brother Peter was solid across half-back. A stirring address from coach Tim Robb had the Demons primed for a huge final quarter. And when big man Roger Stevens exploded at the first bounce, it was all Lockhart, running right, kicking seven gold seven. Mark Powell recalls the Stevens moment at the first bounce. The start of the last quarter, we were probably in a pretty good position. At the start of the last quarter, Rogers got up for the bounce, smashed the ball to about centre half forward, and uh, you know then that that really set the tone for the for the final quarter, and we weren't going to get beat. Peter Hyde took two strong marks to boot goals and finished with a game high five. Jamie Anderson came off the bench for two goals, and Rod Knight kicked his second. The icing was on the cake when Warren Sykes, after kicking six behinds, captivated the crowd with two goals in a minute to send the Lockhart supporters into party mode as the siren sounded to end a 22-year premiership drought and a convincing 47-point victory. Murray Pigden backed up his brilliant second semi-final performance with another superb game. Graham Johnston, Mark O'Shaughnessy, Roger Stevens, Gary Knight, Ross Campbell were others to shine in the ultimate team performance. Four sets of brothers played. Peter and Rolly Alexander, Stephen and Beres Dowdle, Gary and Rod Knight, Rex Shiva and Roger Stevens. It was a victory, not just for the players, but for the town, a committee and supporters who had suffered two decades of pain since its last premiership. Peter Alexander said they had the depth and they got it right when it counted most. Uh, we had a captain who was a tough as nails. He led by example and we just followed his lead. Contribution made by the seven or eight footballers who missed out on selection on the grand final day cannot be underestimated. They certainly played a, a vital part in the success that season and were every part as much as the premiership as the players have played because they could have just slotted in into that team seamlessly anyway. So we're fortunate to have a, a large group of players to pick from that year. While Rod Knight said it was a great feeling playing alongside his brother. Well, that was our first year ever in our lifetime we've ever played football together, senior football. We played junior football together. But when I turned 18, I, I left Lockhart and went up to see the Rock and tell Bingo and played footy up there, then back North Aubrey, Rocklesby, Henty. But Gary played in Wangaratta, and he played in the O&M League for a while and come back and coach the Wodonga Demons then. And then oh, Robbie approached Gary to come back and play football that year. Then he said, we'll go and see Rod, he might want to come back. So we decided to play together. Was our first year in senior football.
football ever. And we won the premiership, so it's really, really special to both of us. We have some great memories of that. Plus, at our age, I was 32 and Gary was 31, so we were very lucky, actually, to be able to do that in our lifetime. Veteran forward Gary Knight summed it up, describing the three main men who led the premiership charge. The coach, the captain, the star player and his great personal memories, along with a rendition of the captain's song. Timmy Robb, the coach, I was aware that it wasn't a popular decision. I'd heard all that discussions just in, um, but when we decided to travel with him every Thursday night, you know, I'd played a fair bit of footy. I'd never been with a guy who was so football committed. And if you didn't want to talk footy, then don't talk at all. So we'd sit in the car and we'd just listen. And he'd just go on and on and on, all the way to Lockhart and back, just talking footy, Wagga days, his league days, whatever he had. But he's a very good man, Timmy and his wife. They used to look after Lockhart boys and heard a few stories about that, which was good. And Herder well, I was one of the senior players, like a few others, and didn't really have a lot to do with Herder, other than I did believe he was a great captain, fantastic footballer, pretty quiet. He'd go about his business and if he'd come up to you to say something before a game, it'd be something like, today's the day, come on boys, we've got to do a little bit more. And that'd be it. He wouldn't rant and rave and carry on, he'd just go about his business, he'd play the ball hard and we all, he led by example and, and you've got to get on to him, Herder, about his premiership song because that was something he uh, brought in for the boys to get us all together when things weren't travelling that great during the year and we're still seeing it at all the reunions, the premiership, the premiership trail, so well, Sykesy, I only met Warren at Lockhart. No doubt was probably one of the classiest footballers we've ever seen because he just liked playing and living off his natural ability, which you do see with a lot of sports people. They're good at what they do and they train to the minimum and put on that white line, they cross the white line, they could just turn it on. And he had the skills and uh, very popular. Everyone loved him. And it was probably the difference between a premiership and not because everyone needs one exceptional player if you're going to get that final premiership. Because without him, I doubt we would have got across the line. No, it's a great bloke, Warren. Well, because I was from Lockhart originally, of course, and grew up with most of the boys, and then to go away and uh, play a lot of my footy down around Bodonga, to be able to go back for that one year, I'd never won a premiership, played in some grand finals. Rod and I had a great year. We were able to catch up with family, mum and dad, when we went up Thursday nights, and the whole year was great. My uncles and other family been involved in the club for years and years, and to finally be able to do it on that premiership day when they saw it all happen, it was probably the, my best moment ever in footy. Every time I go to Lockhart, there's nothing else but conversations about that premiership. No, it was a great feeling and uh, I'm very thankful to the club that I was able to finish up that way. Get some great memories, great friends and I'm still going on now, another reunion this year, which is 40 years up, so might never stop. <laughs> I dedicate this to our fearless leader, Huda, who during the torrid times of the year developed this theme song for all the boys to sing to cheer us up and of course after we had a win it's called the premiership the premiership the trail we're on the premiership the premiership the trail we're only sheer determination will prevail we are the lockhart boys with the job to do we know it's tough but we'll see it through although we sweat and curse we know we surely must keep on the trail that winds ahead through blood and guts we are the Lockhart boys and we will not fail. We're on the premiership, the premiership, the trail. Thanks, Huda. The 1982 Lockhart premiership side was, from the back line, Rolly Alexander, Ross Campbell, Rex Sheever. Halfbacks, Tom Wooden, Steve Dowdle, Beres Dowdle. Centre line, 
Darren Smallwood, Graham Johnston, Mark Powell. The half forwards, Peter Hyde, Gary Knight, Murray Pigden. Forward line, Roger Stevens, Warren Sykes, John Goody. The rucks, Rod Knight, Mark O'Shaughnessy, Jamie Anderson. Interchange, Peter Alexander and Ross Brennan. The coach, Tim Robb. Well, there you go. What a great moment in the history of the Lockhart community. A drought-breaking premiership. Again, a massive thank you to episode sponsors, Davis Sanders Holmes Albury, and the past players and supporters from 1982 for making it all possible. Don't forget, you too can have your great sporting moment recaptured by the team at Glory Days. Drop us a line, and as we say, the rest is history. But for now, stay safe, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Glory Days.